Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching a special topical study on the Holy Spirit, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We love you. We love your word. And Lord, we pray that you speak to us now. By your spirit, Father, speak to us. And may the spirit of God just inspire us and empower us and and light a flame in us, Lord, that we might be your people that take what you've given us, the gifts of the spirit, and begin to use them for your glory, we ask. In Jesus' name and all the saints of God agree and said, Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, and you probably have a flashlight in your pocket, you could turn to your, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. We're going to start there this morning. Romans chapter 12. And if you haven't been with us over the last several weeks, we've been doing a series of topical Bible studies on the Holy Spirit. And in our first study, we talked about the person of the Holy Spirit. You know that. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is not a force or an energy, but the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not a female. He's a person. The third person of the Godhead, the Bible teaches. And then in our second study, the second week, we talked about his deity, that he is God. God in the flesh with God-like attributes. And then in our third and our fourth week, we began talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit or what in the world is the Holy Spirit doing in the world today? The ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we've learned many things with that Bible study. As the Bible teaches, he comes alongside of us and he convicts us of sin. When a person gets saved, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of them. And convicts them of their sin. That's how they get saved. And without that convicting work of the Holy Spirit, a person could not get saved. So he comes alongside of us to convict us of our sin. The Bible teaches he's our constant companion. He will never mislead us. He will always be with us. He is our personal, spiritual tutor and teacher. Anything you learn, you learn it by the Holy Spirit. You learn it by the Holy Spirit teaching you. Your pastor, yes, we teach the Bible, but we don't learn you anything. It's the Holy Spirit that teaches and and instructs us. And then his main job, if you've been here, you know this, his main purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ, not to glorify himself. If you knew that, say amen. We, we've been talking about that because that's important. As so many times you go to various places or go to churches or, in, or watch television and you see that the Holy Spirit's being glorified. You see the Holy Spirit's being exalted and lifted up. You see that the Holy Spirit is being focused upon. And that's not what the Bible teaches. It is the function, the role, the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to point you to Jesus, to say to you, you need to worship Jesus. 
Give glory to God. Worship him. Give him honor. Give him glory. That's his role and his function. And then last week, we began to talk about the Spirit's work in bringing men to salvation. That God has given us the Holy Spirit as a down payment. And that speaks of a finished transaction and ownership, a guarantee of our, in heaven, of our inheritance and authenticity. We talked about that over the last several weeks. Now, keep in mind, when you become a Christian, the Bible teaches, get this, you guys, the moment you become a Christian, God gives you a gift. Amen? The moment you become a Christian, the moment you say yes to Jesus, God gives you a gift. And he wants to manifest that gift in the church and among his people. And he gives us gifts that we might use them to bring, be a blessing, to edify, to build up one another within the church. Ephesians 4.11, we'll look at that a little bit later. So this morning, what I like to do, or this afternoon, what I like to do is an introduction to the gifts of the Spirit. And then over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts, probably take three or four of them a week, and talk about each individual gift of the Spirit and how it is to be operated and used within the church. But this morning, I'm going to lay a good foundation, if you will, as an introduction to the gifts of the Spirit. In your Bibles, I had you turn to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. And then we're going to look at a couple of other passages in Ephesians and then 1 Corinthians, and we'll kind of camp out and park there at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, if you're there, say amen. Oh, that was a weak amen, you guys. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, if you're there, say a hearty amen. amen. Very good. For I say, Paul says, through the grace given to me, To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Isn't that a great verse? Man, I told him first service, you should write in your Bibles, you're not all that. (laughs) Some people think they're like all that, you know. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think soberly. As God has dealt to everyone a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, in verse 4, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, then let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, well, let us use it in our ministries He who teaches, then teach. He who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives, let him do it liberally. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Again, in your Bibles, talking about the gifts. That's what we're looking at right now. Ephesians chapter 4. Turning your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to begin in verse 8. Actually, let's look at verse 7. Talking about the gifts. See, the gifts are, are, are in throughout the scriptures, not just in 1 Corinthians 12, as oftentimes we think. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 7, if you're there again, say amen. amen. But to each one of us was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, he, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. 
Now this he ascended. Who does, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets. See, here's some gifts and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. Why? Verse 12, for the edifying or the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. And then again, turning your Bibles to our last text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back up just a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talking about the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians beginning in verse 1. And again, if you're there, saints, say amen. amen. Now, concerning spiritual gifts. Now, in your Bibles, that word gifts you can see is in italics. That means it's not in the original manuscripts. So it would better read now concerning spirituals or spiritual matters or spiritualities. Now concerning spiritual, it it has the word gift because the whole text, we're talking about the gifts of the spirit. And so the word is to be understood, gifts. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Now, stop right there. Give me your attention. In the early church, you probably already know this, but in the early church, There was a lot of misunderstanding concerning the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit and how they were to operate in the church today, then, in the early church. And what was true then, the misunderstanding was true then in the early church is also true today. In the church today, there is a huge misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. And that's why I wanted to, quite honestly, do a topical series over the next several weeks on this subject of the Holy Spirit, because in the church, nobody understands him. Nobody knows what to think. And then, of course, if you turn on Christian television, then you'll be thoroughly confused. Because, I mean, have you, how many times have you turn on Christian television and they're doing something just weird, man? I mean, this is just weird stuff. And you look at it and you go, that's weird stuff. And then, and, then, and then they do all of this in the name of the Spirit. God's Spirit is doing this. And so what happens is people are just confused. And then some people get afraid. It's like, well, look, if the Spirit acts like that, I want nothing to do with him. If the Spirit's going to come upon my life and anoint me, throw me on the floor, and I'm going to flop around like a fish, I want nothing to do with him. And so people think the Spirit of God is going to come over your life, going to take over your life and make you do something weird and and make you, you know, start speaking in tongues at the grocery checkout line or something. I mean, it's crazy what people are doing in the name of the Spirit. And then what happens is people say, forget it. I want nothing to do with it. They throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what we wind up with is a dead church. If you don't allow the Spirit of God into your church, into your body, into your fellowship, into your life, that will create deadness. And so you've got many, many camps within the church of what people think about the gifts of the Spirit. Some say that the gifts are no longer in use for today. Maybe you come from a background like that or a denomination where they taught you that the gifts are not for today, that they have ceased. No miracles, no tongues, no gifts. And still others say some of the gifts are for today and some are not. 
And then still there are others who say all of the gifts are for today. All of the, you know, the moving and operating of the gifts are for today. And they should be functioning in the church in an unhindered and unrestrained manner. And so then you get charismania. So you got all different camps of people. Now, what are we here, Rodney? What is Calvary Chapel's position on this? Well, let me just say that Calvary Chapel, we're kind of an enigma. Because we, because Baptist people, if you're from a Baptist background, and here in the South, you know, you got to say Baptist. If you, you're Baptist, not, not Baptist, but Baptist. Now, if you're Baptist, some of the Baptist people say, well, those Calvary Chapel people down there on, on, on Old Apex Road, those guys are Pentecostal. I mean, they all that loud singing and Steve Leslie singing all loud and carrying on in the sanctuary. And they're all those Pentecostals, and they lift up their hands, and they sing to Jesus. All oh, that's Pentecostal, they say. And then you got the Pentecostals who say, oh, those guys ain't there, like Baptists. <laughs> I mean, you go into their services, I mean, it's dead, man. Yeah, I mean, there's nobody speaking in tongues, nobody doing back-off flips across the stage and flipping over the chairs. And those guys, I mean, nothing's happening. That church is dead. That Pentecostals say. And so what we like to call ourselves is we call ourselves Bapticostals. <laughs> or I've heard somebody call us Pentabaptists or Pent- Pentists or something. <laughs> I mean, because, because we, what we try to do here at Calvary Chapel is we try to seek balance. We want balance. We believe that we need to have the move of the Spirit in our sanctuary and among our people. We need the Spirit of God. Without him, we don't have life. I don't have life if I don't allow God's Spirit to move in my life. But in the same vein, we need the Word of God to teach us how to worship God. And I was talking to my my wife last night. We were talking about how important the word of God is to simply teach us how to worship God, to teach us how to pray. We don't know how to pray if we don't learn how to pray from the word. We could be praying amiss and asking for the wrong things. And we don't know how to worship unless we know the word. So we like to seek balance here. We believe in the gifts and that they are for the church today, but we don't want to worship the gift. We want to worship the gift giver. Amen, saints? We want to worship the gift giver, but we need balance in our church. It was Greg Laurie who said this, and I love this. He said, all word and no spirit, and you'll dry up. All spirit and no word you'll blow up. Boof. That's true. You need a balance of both, and you'll grow up. Isn't that true? Man, if you go to a church and it's all word, man, that's dry. And if it's all spirit, well, that's too much excitement. But a balance of both, and you will grow up. And that's what we're seeking here at Calvary Chapel, a balance to allow the Spirit of God to move among us. And it's amazing how many Christians I talked to between services even today, how many Christians have gone their Christian life. I talked to a lady, she had been a Christian for 25 years. She never understood the working of the Holy Spirit. And how many Christians are like that who never really understood the the role, the responsibility, the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives? And, And how many years have they gone without saying, Lord, show me my spiritual gift? Because when you become a Christian, at that moment, God has given you a gift. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. Now, you need to ask God to show you by his spirit what that gift is. And let me tell you something. You won't discover it by taking the spiritual gifts test. Did y'all see that? 
Interesting, the spiritual gifts test. I'm like, what's up with that? That's going to prove that I just failed test. I, I don't get it. You got to say, Lord, show me what my spiritual gift is. Lord, work in my life. How exciting it is to allow the spirit of God to work in your life. I have heard so many people say, oh, man, being a Christian is boring. It's just boring being a Christian. I mean, it's just dry and boring. I'm like, no, no, my life didn't begin until I became a Christian and allowed the spirit of God to work in my life. And then I really started having fun, y'all. Well, that's when life became exciting for me, when I allowed the Spirit of God to come into my life and to change my life. And then he made something out of my life, and that's when my life really began, when I allowed allowed the Spirit of God to move in me and then to move through me. The life of a Christian is awesome. How many people never find out what it is to and discover what God wants for them and how God wants to work in them and through them. How many Christians never take the time and say, God, what's my part in the body of Christ? What is my spiritual gift? We all have different gifts. Some the gift of faith. We just read them all. Some the gift of faith. Some evangelism. God wants to use your gift. And if you don't use your gift, you could be literally impacting the world. Listen what I mean. Story. I think it's a poignant story. It's of a Sunday school teacher by the name of Mr. Kimball. It was 1858, Mr. Kimball led a Boston shoe clerk to give his life to the Lord. That shoe clerk was Dwight L. Moody, who became an evangelist. In 1879, Moody awakened evangelistic zeal in the heart of Frederick B. Meyer, who was then pastoring a small church. Well, Frederick B. Meyer, then a theologian, was preaching to an American college campus and brought to Christ a student by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman got an... Um, pardon me, Chapman got involved in YMCA work and employed the former baseball player, Billy Sunday, to do some evangelistic work. Billy Sunday held a revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, and a group of local businessmen were so enthusiastic that they planned another evangelistic campaign and they brought in Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham's revival was so well received in the crowd, a young man heard the gospel and responded in faith. His name was Billy Graham. I mean, think about that. Billy Graham's legacy in becoming a Christian goes back to a shoe clerk. Isn't that amazing? And how important it is for us, no matter where you are or what you're doing, to be faithful, to take the gift that God has given you and share it wherever you are. If you're in Belk Shoe Department, share, share what God has put on your heart with people. If you have a gift of evangelism or a gift of faith, be mindful to share it because you don't know what God is going to do with what you think is just a little thing. I mean, we think, oh, my gift's not like, you know, Rodney's a teacher and gets to teach on Sunday morning. My gift is insignificant. No gift is better than another. And we'll talk about that and develop that as the weeks go on. But take what you've got and take what God has given you and use it. It's so important in the body of Christ how often we feel, people feel, as I said, that if you allow the Spirit of God to work in your life, that the Spirit's going to take over your life. The Bible, listen, the Bible does not teach that the Spirit takes over. I used to think that, especially because years ago, as you guys know, I went to a very, very Pentecostal church, and, and we used to go to church, and I used to, like, really look forward to the Spirit taking over 
the service. And it was fun. Let's just say that. And, and, and you know, you thought the Spirit's going to take over things. Listen, God, the Spirit of God does not take over your life. You can control the gift you have. How often I've heard people say, you know, well, you know, I was in the, you know, store and I just couldn't help it. I had to speak in tongues right then and there. The Spirit just took over and I had to do it. You know, the Bible doesn't teach that. And then, you know, the Spirit took over. I had to do it and I had to be really loud and I couldn't control my volume. That's what people say. And so they act unseemly. And the Bible says the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. First Corinthians chapter 14, 32. You might want to look that up in your own time. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, you have control of what the Holy Spirit will do and will not do in your life. He does not just take control. Now, does he want control of your life? Yes, but he wants you to willingly give it to him. And that's what the Bible means when the Bible says, be ye controlled by the Spirit or be led of the Spirit. That means I say, Lord, I delight myself in you and I want you to take control of my life. But he's a gentleman. He does not force himself upon anyone, nor does he take control and you become like this psychotic robot or something like that. And you can't control yourself. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible says that we are to delight ourselves in the Lord and give over willingly our lives to him so that he can then lead us and guide us and direct our lives. Now, back in your text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want you to notice something. Look there, if you will, again in verse 1. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, that's a very important statement here in uh, this text because Paul's writing, as I said, to a very troubled church. And like the church today, the church at Corinth, they abused and misused the gifts. And as a result, they brought a lot of unnecessary confusion to believers. And so Paul didn't want the believers to be misinformed or, you know, didn't, not to understand the gifts. And so he wanted them to have wisdom and knowledge and understanding of the gifts. And so they could minister effectively for the kingdom. And so Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, this is an interesting phrase because this phrase is found several other places in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant of Old Testament typology. How the Old Testament stories give us a New Testament principle. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the coming of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the tactics of the devil. Romans chapter 11, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning the future of Israel and her place in Bible prophecy and what will be her ultimate end. Now, it's interesting because in these five areas of which Paul writes, I don't want you to be ignorant, are the very areas of which the church is very ignorant. Isn't that interesting? Ignorant concerning the gifts, ignorant concerning Israel, ignorant concerning Old Testament typology, ignorant concerning the tactics of the enemy. Paul says, I'm writing you, and I don't want you to be ignorant. Look in verse 2 and 3. He says, you know that you were Gentiles, carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one, interesting here, speaking by the Spirit of God, calls Jesus accursed. 
And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the early church, remember, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. There was obviously, evidently, a rumor in the Corinthian church that someone was speaking in tongues and the interpretation of the tongue was blasphemous. And so Paul says it is impossible for a person who is walking in the spirit and being led by the spirit to say that Jesus is accursed. No one praises God by the power of the devil. It's only through the spirit that a person can honestly say that Jesus is Lord. And if someone says Jesus is cursed, he doesn't have the spirit and he isn't a Christian. If someone says Jesus is cursed, he isn't a Christian. I was reading this comment, and it was interesting for me to find out. Between services, four people came up to me in regard to this comment that I'm about to make, and I'll read it to you, and then I'll tell you a little bit more about it. It's of this Episcopal bishop, and his name is John Spawn. And he wrote these blasphemous words recently. He said, there is no God external to life. The Bible is not the word of God in any literal or verbal sense. It never has been. The Gospels are not the inerrant works divinely authorized by the Holy Spirit. All evangelical and missionary activities designed to convert the heathen are expressions of our sense of superiority and hostility toward those who are different. I would choose to know rather than worship a deity that required a sacrifice of his own son. An Episcopal bishop recently went on record to say that. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at one 800 293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light. Let me be a song.